I have a bit of a warning about our first topic on today's show. The conversation will include some talk about a horrific murder and child abuse and rape, and some listeners may want to rejoin us in about 13 minutes. But what she learned was that if she was a mad, you know, if she was pregnant, she wouldn't be raped. And so she would imagine, you know, t- say she was pregnant. And then, you know, always something would happen where she would explain, like, the baby absorbed back into her body. And yet no one called a mental health professional, you know, when they, they heard these stories. Instead, her first husband said, I'm going to expose you. I'm going to take these children away from you. I'm taking you to court. I'm Sarah Fenske. This is St. Louis on the Air. Lisa Montgomery is set to be executed on January 12th. She would be the first woman to be executed by the federal government since 1953. And while you may not remember the name Lisa Montgomery, you likely remember the name of the Missouri woman who she killed. Bobby Jo Stinnett was eight months pregnant when Lisa strangled her and cut the baby out of her. It was a horrific crime that shocked the nation. But there is much more to Lisa Montgomery's life than those terrible, violent actions. And joining me today to talk about the case against killing her is Kelly Henry. She's an assistant federal public defender, and she's now representing Lisa Montgomery. Kelly, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. So take us back to 2004. Lisa Montgomery was 36 at that time. What brought her and Bobby Joe Stinnett into contact? Mrs. Montgomery met Ms. Stinnett through a um, chat room on the internet. Um, they both had an interest in breeding dogs. But what really brought them together was Mrs. Montgomery's severe mental illness. How so? Mrs. Montgomery was at the apex of her psychosis in 2004. And unfortunately, um, for all of us, for Mrs. Montgomery and for Mrs. Stinnett's family, she went over the edge um, and became psychotic in her attempt to obtain this baby. And it was something that is shocking to everyone, of course, and something for which she was immediately remorseful and sought to plead guilty to accept a life without parole sentence. And we're going to talk quite a bit about her psychosis and some of the factors that that led her down this path. But just to sort of set the basics for our listeners, how was she apprehended? How did they end up finding her and, and this baby after the fact? So Mrs. Montgomery brought the baby home and she told her husband that she'd had the baby um, while she was out shopping. And they took the baby around and introduced her as their own. And, um, you know, a a citizen called the police, called a tip line, and she was found, you know, within a day. It it didn't take long to uh, apprehend her. And uh, Mrs. Montgomery did immediately confess. So she did confess. At the trial, did she make any effort to claim she was innocent? Um, Her trial defense, which was horribly bungled, um, was premised on an insanity defense. Okay. So she acknowledged that she had done this. Um, She didn't attempt to say somebody else was behind this murder. There was a time where her lawyer badgered her um, to tell him that someone else did it. 
And unfortunately, because of his inexperience in dealing with people with mental illness, he did not understand that when Mrs. Montgomery was describing feeling like there was another person in the room, she was actually describing her own dissociation and psychosis. Mm. And because he didn't understand how to deal with someone who was at that point so traumatized and ill, he actually planted a memory in her <laughs> that her brother was with her. Um, and that was part of our, um, what we had to untangle when we got our case in post-conviction. But Mrs. Montgomery has always expressed remorse and was, in fact, on suicide watch when she was arrested. Okay. Now, I want to go back to the roots of this psychosis and the roots of, of the problems in Lisa Montgomery's life. And reading just the very compelling evidence that you've compiled here, I understand it goes all the way back to her time in utero. What do we know about Lisa Montgomery's mother's actions during her pregnancy with Lisa? So Lisa Montgomery's mother was um, an alcoholic, and she drank um, throughout her pregnancy with Lisa. Um, our investigation into Lisa's family history would indicate that her mother probably suffered from bipolar disorder as well. Her biological father did suffer from bipolar disorder. So beyond the fetal alcohol effects, genetically they um, passed on the predisposition to bipolar disorder, which Mrs. Montgomery does um, suffer from. The Bureau of Prisons have diagnosed her as being bipolar. I mean, frankly, her mom sounds like one of the worst mothers that I've ever read accounts of, of, of treating their children. I mean, it sounds like Lisa, frankly, suffered from some pretty bad abuse from a very early age. Is that fair to say? You know, it, I always struggle with referring to it as abuse because that word has such a, a pejorative ter um, feeling in our vernacular because really what she experienced was torture physical and sexual torture at the hands of her caregivers, including her mother. So her mother married six different men, and I understand one stepfather was by far the worst. What did he do to Lisa Montgomery when, when she was a child? He began as she was a pre-adolescent to groom her, as pedophiles do. He would strip her naked and um, beat her. And then that became more and more sexual in nature to the point where he not only raped her, but he brought in other men, um, and they would gang rape her. Uh, and I know, as you warned your listeners, this is awful stuff. I mean, it was anal, oral, vaginal. And then when they were done with her, they would urinate on her like she was trash. Did she tell anyone about this abuse at the time that it was happening? She did. Um, when we got into the case in post-conviction, we interviewed her cousin, and she didn't lead us to her cousin. We interviewed the cousin on our own, and he was a police officer when she was about 14 years old, and he said he, he just felt like something was wrong when these men came in the house and Lisa became so frightened. And so he arranged to speak with her privately, and Lisa told him what I just told you, and he dropped her off and left. He did not intervene. He did not intervene. Did Child Protective Services ever do anything in, throughout all these years where various forms of abuse were going on? They did not. It's just, it's so unsettling to think about how the system failed this child. It's, it's just, it's really upsetting to think about. Now, my understanding is that Lisa got out of this household because she married her stepbrother. Uh, what was going on there? 
So Lisa tried to escape, and that's one of the things about this case, all of the if-onlys, you know, that could have, have stopped this. She wanted to join the military to escape, but instead was really coerced into marrying her stepbrother. And then the abuse that she experienced at the hands of her caregivers continued on through her marriage um, to her first husband. So she did end up eventually being able to part from that husband. Um, and, and she had a, a, a second husband, a, a guy that she married. Um, the, the, her four children were all with the first husband? Yes. So she had these four children. She married the second husband. Um, I understand she was newly married at the time that she sort of began this collision course with Bobby Jostin. And she told a lie that ended up having some really serious consequences. Walk us through what was going on. Absolutely. So Lisa does have a history of imagined pregnancies. And we knew that she knew, or others knew, she couldn't get pregnant because she'd been forced into a tubal ligation after her fourth child. That's basically like a sterilization. Exactly. But what she learned was that if she was imagined, you know, if she was pregnant, she wouldn't be raped. And so she would imagine, you know, say she was pregnant, and then, you know, always something would happen where she would explain, like, the baby absorbed back into her body. And yet no one called a mental health professional, you know, when they, they heard these stories. Instead, her first husband said, I'm going to expose you. I'm going to take these children away from you. I'm taking you to court. And her mother um, joined forces with her stepbrother to tell her, you're a terrible mother, you're a horrible person. Instead of realizing how mentally ill she was, to the point where she was pushed into a situation where she had to produce a baby, or in her mind, and you know, her very psychotic mind, her entire world was going to um, come crashing down on her. And of course, it, it did anyway. Um, you know, the thing about this case is that these crimes are incredibly rare. 16 of them have happened. Lisa Montgomery is the only one on death row, because in all cases, we realize that if you commit a crime like this, you have to be incredibly mentally ill. Mm-hmm. I do want to mention something else that really struck me when I read um, these materials that, that you as her attorneys have put together, and that is that there's a number of physicians who've examined her who believe she suffered brain injuries and some serious head trauma. Um, I'm curious to know a little bit about the roots of that and what kind of impact that might have in terms of what was going on in her head. Absolutely. So, you know, Part of the experience, she's had experience both in getting head injuries from having a battery um, thrown hard at her head. Of course, we have the fetal alcohol um, insults on her brain in utero. And then we have situations where when the men would rape her, they would bang her head against the um, concrete slab that was in the special room that her stepfather had built to rape her in. Um, And there are brain scans, you know, that you can't fake a brain scan. Mm-hmm. that show that her brain is both structurally and functionally damaged, yet the jury never heard that evidence. And that's the sort of evidence that really does move a jury to um, exercise mercy and sentence someone to life without parole instead of the death penalty. Uh, it's a tragedy that the jury didn't get to hear that information. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious about her second husband, this man that she was newly married to at the time she committed this, this horrific action. Did he have any idea just how sick she was? You know, it appears that he did not. Um, You know, he has stuck with her all these years, and I I have to say Mr. Montgomery does really guard his his privacy a lot, so I'm not allowed to say a lot about him. Mm -hmm. He's going through a very hard time, as as you might imagine. 
But no, he didn't recognize the signs of mental illness. And did he, he believed that she was genuinely pregnant at the point uh, when she ended up uh, taking this baby? He did. Hmm. So as you said, there have been a number of cases where women have done this, a, a small number. Uh, I believe you said 16 total. Um, and Lisa's the only one who is, is in imminent fear of the death penalty over this. The others have not been executed for this. What, do, what are some of the things these cases have in common? They have um, women who suffer from incredible trauma. We call it complex post-traumatic stress disorder. That's the phrase that the uh, professionals use because it's more than just PTSD. Um, These are people who have suffered pervasive sexual torture that has caused their brains to essentially um, detach from reality. It it is like psychosis. Um, And they often have other mental illnesses like Mrs. Montgomery with her bipolar disorder and brain damage. And she never got help for any of these issues prior to this murder. No, she saw, a, she reached out for help in the year before the murder and saw a community psychologist. But, you know, in the middle of Kansas, um, when you're poor, access to mental health care, competent mental health care, um, was just non existent at the time. And that's one of the lessons that we really should take from this case is the importance of not stigmatizing people with mental illness. My guest today is Kelly Henry. She's one of the attorneys representing Lisa Montgomery. We need to take a quick break. We'll be back shortly to continue this conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com. And now back to our conversation. My guest today is Kelly Henry. She's an assistant federal public defender, and she represents Lisa Montgomery. Lisa is scheduled to be executed on January 12th for the murder of Bobby Joe Stinnett. Um, now, Kelly, you have been Lisa's lawyer since 2012. Was it difficult initially to earn her trust? It was. Uh, Mrs. Montgomery, uh, when we met her, had just been released from the hospital after she had attempted suicide. She had taken 70 Tylenol and had gone into liver failure. She was um, incredibly fragile and ill at that time. You know, she's been in constant psychiatric care since 2008 when she was arrested and is still to this day at a federal medical center under psychiatric care. Over time, through intentional work on behalf of the defense team, we were able to establish a bond and a trust. Mm-hmm. So you, you established that bond and trust, and then this October, I understand Lisa was given this execution date. Did that news, uh, when you received it this fall, did that come as a surprise? It did. Um, the government in 2017 had provided a list of people that they felt were eligible for execution And Mrs. Montgomery um, has leapfrogged over some of those individuals who still don't have dates. We really didn't expect an execution date to be set for her this soon. Do you have any idea why her case might have leapfrogged these others? 
no idea. That process is completely opaque. Hmm. Well, she was originally scheduled to be executed Tuesday, this last Tuesday. Um, This was all set to happen. And then... Boy, this case takes a turn. Um, Kelly, and this, this, this turn involves you personally. What happened? We um, went to see Mrs. Montgomery as soon as she got her execution date. I had not been on an airplane since COVID started. Um, but because we knew that other federal executions had moved forward, despite the attorneys complaining that they might get COVID, we felt we had no choice. Um, and after two visits to the prison, my co-counsel and I both came down with a pretty severe case of COVID. Oh, my goodness. Um, and, and do you believe you probably picked this up in the prison? I assume, like all the prisons here in Missouri, these, these prisons probably had a lot of cases. They do. And like I said, she's at a federal medical center where they have had an outbreak. Our symptoms began three days after we returned from our visit. So how sick were you? You know, uh, we're better now, but we're still not. We still have good days and bad days. My co-counsel was probably even worse off than I was, although she'll probably say the same about me. (laughs) Um, But, you know, there were, you know, I would say a solid three weeks where I couldn't work at all. Mm. And and then, you know, we've been getting energy back and working. We have our clemency petition and we have to file it. Um, But the fatigue and the brain fog... Uh, really does continue to some extent. Not as bad as it was, but it's still there. Well, I'm sorry you've gone through that, and I'm glad to hear you're doing better, even if there is still some brain fog uh, that persists. I know this is such a tough road for people who get this illness, and I want to talk about the clemency petition in just a moment. But I I understand it's because you and your co-counsel ended up so ill that this, um, the date of her execution ended up being pushed back. Uh, what, What did the judge have to say about that? Uh, Mrs. Montgomery has a right to counsel, and um, it's a statutory right under the federal law. And he said that due to our illness, she was being deprived of that right. And so he granted her a limited stay of execution so that we would have time to get well in order to prepare this clemency petition. And so tell me how this clemency petition works. Uh, The idea is this would go to President Trump? Eventually, it will reach President Trump's desk. We submit it to the Office of Pardon Attorney. Uh, As I understand it, we will have an opportunity to make an oral presentation, though that will have to be by Zoom, I expect. And then they make a recommendation to the Department of Justice, and the Department of Justice makes a recommendation to the president, and then it's ultimately the, the president's decision. We won't know what the recommendation is unless it's leaked or someone chooses to tell us. Okay. And this execution date, even though it has been pushed back, it is coming up so soon. I mean, January 12th, I feel like I have things in my refrigerator that uh, that will still be good after January 12th. How can it possibly go through all those steps in such a short period of time? Well, that's something that many of the other litigants have complained about, that this, this time frame really is far too compressed. Um, All we can do um, is our very best to try to put together the best case possible to, you know, compel President Trump to show mercy, if if not to Lisa Montgomery, to her children and to her sister Diane, who are fighting so hard and who would be additional victims in this tragic case. 
Now, I understand uh, President-elect Biden has been clear about the fact that he's opposed to capital punishment. And this is a federal execution. This is not the decision of a governor. This is the federal government's decision. He takes office barely a week after this execution date. Is there some chance that this decision could be postponed without necessarily her being granted clemency? Or is that not how these things work? Well, certainly one of our requests to President Trump will be um, to uh, request a reprieve from the execution date because there is so much to present. And in the waning days of the administration, you know, there are a lot of things on his plate, I am sure. And, you know, the amount of information will be voluminous. It will be our contention that there's not enough time to look at all of the the case um, in the short time that he has left. So we will ask for a reprieve. Um, and but that will be up to President Trump. Okay. So we've heard from a number of listeners, uh, many of them by email, some of them also uh, through our St. Louis on the Air page. Charles writes via email, as horrific as this was, I do not support the death penalty, and I pray that Lisa Montgomery will be granted clemency and that she gets to do life in prison. Lori emailed in to say, please also say something about the victim. This case calls for massive, relentless compassion for both the criminal and the victim. Um, and Kelly, I think that's, that's a really good point here. I mean, what happened to Bobby Joe? in it is truly, truly horrible. It's unimaginable, absolutely unimaginable. And, you know, um, I certainly respect the Senate family's desire for privacy. And, um, you know, if I could, I would express my extreme sorrow for their loss. You know, I, I am a mother. And um, on a personal level, you know, I, I grieve for Mrs. Stinnett and and their family. Um, yeah. Yeah. I feel the same way. It's just, oh, it's such a such a horrible case. Um, Ellen also writes on email, how can the death penalty still exist? To kill someone for their crimes is absurd in itself. Perhaps rehabilitation will work, perhaps not. In the United States, we never even give a person a chance, especially someone, especially when someone is like Lisa, an abused child and disturbed adult who commits a crime and then is further abused by a death sentence. Her history and life experience are so devastating. And although we do commit people People to pay for their crimes, taking their life should not be in our hands. I am horrified by what Lisa did, and I'm horrified by the tragic loss of Mrs. Stinnett's life, but taking another life is futile. We have to change our ways in this country. Having just lost Brandon Bernard at the age of 40 to execution, I am devastated to think that we will continue this killing spree. Uh, Brandon Bernard was um, executed last night by the Trump administration. Do you think we're going to see a flurry of more of these in the coming days and weeks? Uh Mr. Bourgeois is scheduled for execution in a few hours today. Um, and there are th- three others, or two others, besides Mrs. Montgomery, um, scheduled for execution that same week. And um, the Attorney General has stated that he intends to set more dates. I, you know, I know in, in Brandon Bernard's case, um, even Kim Kardashian West, who previously has shown that she has President Trump's ear, um, she was pushing Trump to commute this sentence. And that didn't work. Is there any hope for Lisa Montgomery at this point? You know, there's always hope. And I think that we have an excellent case of mercy for Lisa um, both in explaining how she's the only person to receive the death penalty for this sort of crime, and that if we can understand and have compassion for what you know, child trafficking victims suffer and what that does to their 
brains and their bodies, um, we can have compassion for Lisa and for her family. How has this process affected her of, of having this date looming, first the one date and, and now this second date? I haven't been able to see Mrs. Montgomery since we saw her in November and got COVID. Um, you know, when I first saw her, she's on suicide watch, and they had her in a suicide smock where um, she wasn't allowed anything in her cell, not a piece of paper, nothing. She's watched 24-7 where men can even see her use the restroom. Um, it's unimaginable the torture she's currently experiencing. They've only recently allowed her to have, you know, crayons in her cell. Um, when we saw her, she was incredibly dissociative. And, you know, it's the nature of her illness that it, that it does wax and wane. And when they move her from the hospital where she is now to Terre Haute, which is an all-male prison, that trek from Fort Worth to Terre Haute, Indiana, on a literal con air, is going to push her over the edge, we believe. And that trip, that would be the final step. She would be executed in, in Indiana. Yes. Just in our final 30 seconds here, I want to touch on something else. You said that her husband has remained married to her. He's, he's stood by her and that he's private. And she has another family member, uh, too, that's, that's also by her side in this. So she does have some support at this point? She does. Her children and her sister Diane are... Um, steadfastly in support of Lisa. Well, Kelly Henry, this is such a tough case to talk about, and I want to thank our listeners for bearing with us through some of these details, which are, are just heartrending on all facets of this case. And, and Kelly, I want to thank you for joining us today and, and sharing um, everything you've been working on. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. And Kelly, again, is the federal public defender. She's representing Lisa Montgomery. Uh, Lisa is facing an execution date of January 12th. And unless she's given a reprieve, she would be the first woman executed by the federal government since 1953. Coming up next, we'll talk about pianograms. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.
Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.